Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. I am your host, Bridget McGowan, and I am joined today by Leah M. Forney. Leah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Bridget. I'm very excited to have a conversation with you because you have a very spiritual background and you are rooted in your faith and that comes out in your speaking. So tell me, what kind of speaking do you do and how did you get started? Yeah, that's such a good question. So I will say that I am a professional speaker. I tend to do a lot of speaking in a few different areas. So I do a lot of advocacy and sexual assault work. So I tend to get booked to come and tell my sexual assault story. Um, And so I train in that space as well. I'm also a podcaster myself. So oftentimes I get asked to come to podcasting summits and kind of teach and train on how I got started in the podcasting industry. And then I'm also an author. So I tend to pull from some of my books and share some of my my experiences as being an author and the, the journey that I've been on, on how I became a published author. So that's kind of some of the things that I speak on. Um, but how did I get started? Great question. I feel like I've always had the gift of gab, Bridget. If I think about how I grew up, I was that kid that always got letters sent home saying that I talk too much. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> like I, I was that kid that, you know, my family would get those report cards and they're like, Leah's such a great person. However, <laughs> she does not know how to be quiet. So I feel like I've always had the gift of gab. And I feel like speaking was something that always came naturally. Now, I don't think I ever saw myself doing it professionally. I just knew that God had given me this voice and that he needed me to use it for the masses. And so however he was leading at the time is kind of how I went. But that's really how I got done. I was just the kid that used to run her mouth all the time. Now, I... If you cannot answer this question, I'm not even going to be mad at you, but I have to throw it out there just because I know and love my listeners. Mm -hmm. And that question is, if I don't have the gift of gab, then Mm -hmm. what do I do? I want to get on a stage. I want to spread my message. I have something inside that I need to speak on. But I I didn't get talks too much on my report cards. I didn't get the notes sent home that... I need to shut up. <laughs> so right. what do you say to people who don't have that gift of gab? Yeah. So what I would say is start practicing, right? Um, I could tell you like early on in my speaking journey, something that I learned when I was in network marketing was 
I used to be afraid to go live. Picture that someone with the gift of gab afraid to go live on social media. And so one of the things that my coach used to challenge me to do was practice. And so what I did was I created a little private Facebook community. Nobody was in the community. It was just me. Nobody knew it existed. And I would just practice going live because contrary to the fact that I had the gift of gab, I also didn't care for my voice. You know, I'm from New York City. I have the, the thick New York accent and I just didn't like my voice. It was like, every time I would hear myself, it was like, I don't like it. I don't like how I sound. I felt like I sounded like a man. Like it, I just would always die, like tear my voice down. And so practicing really helped me to begin to build the confidence to start speaking publicly and really start to like share my story and really share it um, on different stages. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. When you think about your favorite topic to speak on, or maybe it's that presentation that drives everybody wild, what presentation is that? And what is it about it that makes it so magical? Oh, that's such a good question, because I have so many. But I think the one that probably is the one that drives people wild is my sexual assault story. So, mm. um, and the reason why is because I feel like a lot of times, especially in sectors like sexual assault, domestic violence, we have all the research, right? We have all the science, all that stuff. But oftentimes what's missing is a survivor's voice and really being able to hear directly from the survivor their experience, what they went through, things like that. And so every time that I get to share my story and the journey I went on and the things that I experienced, you know, with law enforcement and the the, the court system, that seems to like really resonate. You know, I had a recent speaking engagement. I sat on a panel for a conference that was focusing on sexual assault and they were focusing mainly on survivor healing. And that was the thing that got like the standing ovation was just me being that authentic and sharing like, this is what I experienced. This is what I went through as a black woman, as a survivor of sexual assault. So I would say that's probably, if I think of all my topics and my signature topics, that's probably the one that drives the, drives people the most because they can connect with it, they can resonate with it and it really like tugs at them emotionally. I cannot imagine how vulnerable you have to be in order to share that story. Yeah. And I'm sure I have listeners that have experiences that are equally traumatic or maybe not as traumatic. How did you get to a, a place and a space mm. where I'm not going to say you felt comfortable sharing your story, but where you felt like you could do this? Yeah. So it took some years for me to get there. Um, and the reason why is because I wanted to make sure that I was intentional about my healing journey. So the first time that I ever spoke up publicly about sexual assault was um, right after, maybe a year after I was sexually assaulted. Um, I was in therapy at the time and I was getting ready to do what they call take back the night. And so take back the night is like a, a community event where they do a lot of survivor stories, survivor speak out. And my counselor at the time wanted to check in with me. She was like, I know you signed up to do this speak out. I want to make sure you are okay. 
And so one of the things that I always tell people, especially when you want to tell vulnerable stories, is make sure you've made peace with that story. So make sure you've taken the time to work through it, to heal from it, to like really um, do the inner work because it can be hard. It can be hard to stand on a stage and tell your story, right? No matter how traumatic it is or not. And so I made sure that before I opened up my mouth, I went through the process of healing and really got to a place where I had accepted the reality of what I had experienced. And now I was like, okay, I'm ready to try to help other people by sharing my story. Mm. That's really important that for lack of a better phrase, you have to do the work. You have to make sure that you're ready. I know for <laughs> for me, being ready means I'm not going to break down and fall, yeah. fall out crying and going on because I found out that I was adopted and it took me uh, and I was well into adulthood when I found this out. I always thought that I was, and I had questioned mm-hmm. this or posed this question to my adopters when I was a teenager, but it wasn't until I was well into adulthood and I had made a lot of decisions based off of who I thought I was. It took me how many years? I know you said it took you about a year. Mm-hmm. after the sexual assault and not to say that learning about a secret adoption is equivalent to a sexual assault but it took me oh my goodness what uh more than a decade to even yeah. say I am adopted because wow. I lived decades of a life mm-hmm. as a lie so it there's a lot of work where you've got to be ready to share and also think to yourself what lesson is coming out of this sharing? How am I transforming people? What what do I want them to, to take away? Yeah. Leah M. Forney is a native of Queens, New York, but she currently resides in Maryland. And she has released eight books in the course of five years. She's, as she shared, the podcast host of the internationally recognized Hey Queen Thrive podcast. She is an award winner of a, a, a of a I Am Her, oh my goodness, International Awards Woman on the Rise. She's been blessed to be featured in uh, or on more than 150 different media publications and in those publications, including but not limited to internationally streamed Born Unbreakable podcast. And she has landed uh, two partnerships with state and national organizations to lend her voice in the fight to end sexual violence. Leah has been coined the visibility activator for her ability to deliver complex strategies in bite-sized, easy-to-digest pieces. She provides unique opportunities of transformation for individuals who want to increase their visibility while making the impact and creating the profitability they desire and they deserve through the power of storytelling. Leah, when it comes to storytelling, what is one of your favorite stories to tell in your presentations? And what makes it at the top of your list of anecdotes to share? Oh, that's such a good question, Bridget. Like, I'm like, what is my favorite story? This isn't my first rodeo. (laughs) I'm about 170 episodes in at this point. Listen, (laughs) you know, I think for me, probably one of my favorite stories to tell is the story of my childhood. 
Um, and the reason why I think it's one of my favorite stories is because it kind of gives you people the insight into how I became the eight-time published author. And so in that story, I talk about being the daughter of two addicts. Both my parents battled with addiction. Um, my father was in and out of prison. So was my mother. And so I was raised with my maternal grandparents and my aunt. And so as a young girl, I struggled with the feelings of a, abandonment and rejection. And so I, did, I I took to like fighting. And my grandmother was so afraid. She was like, oh my God, if we don't channel these emotions, like you're either going to end up dead at an early age or you're going to end up prison like your parents. And I knew I didn't want that outcome. Like I knew deep down inside I didn't want that outcome. And so I started turning to writing and writing became my way of escape. So I started just walking around with a notebook and pen and just write. I would just pin all types of stuff, poems, letters to God, Santa, all of that. And writing was my way of being able to tap into my creativity and create something that helped me to not think about the fact that my parents weren't there. And so, you know, when people would approach me and ask me about my father or my mother, I always had some elaborate story. Like my dad was a CIA agent on a top secret mission. Like that is the story I told myself and created about myself. So I always love to tell that story because I think it gives people an insight onto where my journey began. It began as being a little girl who had abandonment issues who took to writing as a way of escaping the reality of what she was living. She didn't know she was going to be an author. She didn't know she was going to be a podcaster. She didn't even know she was going to be a speaker. She just knew that she had this pain on the inside. And so she wanted to release it. And she did that by writing. Wow. Wow. When you think about, <clears throat> excuse me, your presentations, do you find that with this releasing in your presentations, do you find that your presentations are as therapeutic for you as they are for your audience and vice versa? Absolutely. I And I think that's the reason why I've always taken that approach to speaking, where I'm very transparent and, and vulnerable. Um, because I think I've, me personally, I've gone to enough conferences where I've sat and heard the fluff, right? I've sat and heard like, all the the cutesy things and so sometimes when you're experiencing real life you want to be in spaces where people are going to be that honest and that real and that vulnerable and so I think that's why my approach to speaking has always been that way because I don't ever want someone to be in my presence and not feel heard or seen and and I know that it resonates because I usually get somebody that comes to me after I've done speaking and say thank you like thank you for sharing your story because it was my story and I saw myself and those are the moments that really matter to me. You are coined the visibility activator. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit more about how did you get that amazing, I'll call it moniker or label. Yeah. So it's funny because um, when God kind of told me that I needed to be coaching, I was like running away from it because at that time I had a 10 year career in mental health. And so for me, it was like therapy, coaching too, like mm -mm, too close for comfort. <laughs> like, And so how I got into being vis the visibly activated, for, it was one, I didn't want to use the word coach. 
So people kept calling me coach, but I was like, I, that's not what I resonate with. I resonate with an activator. And so when I think of someone who is an activator, what their job is, is to really pull out of you what's already on the inside of you. Right. And so a lot of my clients that come to work with me, they know what it takes to be visible, but they allow fear. They allow doubt. They allow, you know, the little things like I struggle with. Oh, my God, I don't like my voice. Oh, I don't want to go live. All those things to stop them from actually showing up. And so for me to be the visibility activator means I'm activating what's already on the inside of you. You have the story. You have the gift. You have the talent, you know what your people need help with or what they want to hear. And so my job is to kind of partner with you and come alongside with you and pull it out of you and help you to build that confidence so that you can show up on a platform. You can show up as the keynote speaker. You can show up as the author, the podcaster, the coach, whatever your title is and do it confidently because it's already on the inside of you. And so visibility activator is kind of my little unique way of calling myself a visibility coach without calling myself a visibility coach. I like that. I like that. What is one thing that listeners can do to activate their visibility, whether they're on a stage or whether they're just going about their routine day-to-day life in the office? Yeah. So I would say be consistent in whatever it is that you do. Um, Oftentimes what I see in my industry is that people start and stop. And when you are starting and stopping, you actually, one, mess up your momentum. And two, you kind of create this inconsistency with your audience. And so people tend to want to work with, connect with, and buy from people they know, like, and trust. Well, how can I build trust with you if you're not consistent. And so what I always tell my clients is notice that I say consistent. Consistent means doing that same thing over and over and over again. Oftentimes what we hear in our mind is that I have to keep doing it three, four times, or I got to show up three, four times a week. And so I tell people, don't mix, don't mix up consistency with frequency. Consistency is doing it, keep doing it, repetition, right? Frequency is how often you decide to do that. So what I tell people is make sure that whatever it is that you're doing, be consistent. Always check in with your own capacity. Always check in to see what do I already have on my plate? Can Is this something that I can add? Is this something I can handle? And is this something that I'm going to be able to be consistent and committed to? You'll have an opportunity to ask me a question in just a minute or two. Hmm. But for now, I want to know from you, Leah, when you deliver presentations, what is something that is, I guess you could say a deal breaker for you? Like for me, I've got to have the the lapel microphone. I wouldn't say Mm. it's a deal breaker. I'm not going to storm off and not (laughs) deliver the presentation if you don't have a hands-free microphone for me. But, you know, I don't know. What are some maybe must-haves as opposed to going the negative route of deal breaker, maybe I'll go the positive route of what are some must-haves? Yes. So I got to have my presentation clicker. I am one of those presenters that I don't like to stand still. 
So it would be the presentation clicker and you have to give me permission to use the whole stage. Like I am that person that likes to walk and talk and be interactive. And so if I have to be like, no, you have to stand behind the podium, that's probably gonna drive me crazy. So <laughs> presentation clicker and give me permission to use the whole stage. Agreed. Uh, you, it, listen, <laughs> as I show up <laughs> and there is a lectern and they're expecting me to stand behind it, I will either move it myself or ask someone to move it, or I just act like it's not even there. So I'm walking all around it, <laughs> acting like it's completely invisible. The idea of just standing in one spot. Naturally, when I deliver a webinar, I have to theoretically stand in one spot, but I will stand so at least I can shift my yeah. energy, my weight from one foot to the other. I can gesture and so on and so forth, but I'm right there with you. No lecterns for me. I must have my clicker. I've got to have that hands-free microphone. I have this terrible story of how my presentation delivery was off. The energy was low. The well, I wouldn't say it was low, but it just wasn't the same. Yeah. And I evaluated the presentation after the effect after the fact. And I knew it was because I'm having to use one hand for the microphone plus the other hand for the clicker. And so I felt like I had handcuffs all Yeah. And so I wasn't able to gesture like I wanted to, because if I gestured with the hand with the microphone, you weren't able to hear me when I'm throwing my hand out to the left and oh, so on and so forth. Okay, fabulous. We're on the same page. So <laughs> on the same page with those must-haves. What is your question for me? Oh, so, you know, I was sitting there, pro I was like, okay, let me think. What do I want to ask Bridget? I think the question I want to ask you is, in all your experience as a professional speaker, what is that biggest misconception that people have about public speaking? It actually goes back to one of the first discussions you and I had, and that's that gift of gab piece. Yeah. A lot of people think you have to have this gift of gab, or you have to be the loudest one in the room, or you have to be the most talkative person on your team in order to be a standout, stellar speaker. Yeah. And that is not true. Yes, I did get the talks too much notations on my report cards every grading period, no matter how hard I tried. <laughs> I did. And I, I don't know why I was so talkative in elementary school. I really have no idea because I am an introvert. Mm -hmm. If I have a choice between going to a party, going to a mixer, attending a networking event, or staying at home watching the Andy Griffith show, I'm staying at home. Yep. <laughs> I'm watching. I noticed you didn't say, I know she just said I'm staying at home. I ain't watching no Andy Griffith. <laughs> but you're like, I'll stay in the house. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big misconception people have. Yes. When you get on that stage, what matters the most is that you show up as an expert, yes. become incredibly knowledgeable backwards and forwards, left to right, front, center, all around, become incredibly knowledgeable on those three to five points that you're going to make in your talk. Mm -hmm. And then deliver like it's nobody's business. 
Yeah. You don't have to be able to shoot from the hip and wax on agnosium and uh, no, and tell all these wonderful stories. Stories are great. They're fantastic additions to a presentation. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to be someone who is the life of the party and all of that yeah. in order to be an amazing standout speaker. Yeah. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. And I even say that in the work as a visibility activator, like you don't have to have a huge following for the media to want to like interview you. Like you just have to be knowledgeable and credible in order for them to want to interview you. It, they don't care about if you got 10,000 followers or not. They just want to know, are you an expert? Yep. Yep. That's all they want to know. They want to know, are you an expert? Can you carry a conversation yeah. with you? And, and I want you to get up there and inspire your audience or ignite them or fascinate them. That's, you know, it's not a must that you ignite and inspire and fascinate. But it's nice if you can do that, because I want you to ask yourself, what will my audience know or be able to do after I finish? Yeah. So I don't want to want you to just talk for the sake of talking, yeah. but I want you to think about, you know, what are some things that I want them to be able to just be on fire about getting out and doing once I finish? So in a sense, I want them to be an activator yeah. on that stage so maybe that's how you should start looking at yourselves mm -hmm. not that you're going to be a speaker when you get on the microphone but you're going to be an activator or you're going to ignite or or motivate yeah. a change in thought a change in habit a change in behavior some kind of change you want to bubble inside of your audience members so yes. when they leave, they feel compelled to do something differently because of their time spent with you. Yes, I love that. Yeah, for sure. Leah, what else do our listeners need to know to make sure they're always owning the microphone? Oh, I think the thing that I would say to really know is just be yourself. Be mm -hmm. your authentic self. Like no one can tell your story like you can. No one can show up in your expertise like you can. So, you know, while it's great to feel inspired and motivated by other people, what your audience is looking for, what the media is looking for is you. Be you. Show up as your authentic, unapologetic self. Mm, there you have it. There you have it. Show up as nobody but yourself. Leah M. Forney, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Bridget. And thank you to the listeners. I am Bridget McGowan. Until next time, make sure you always own the microphone. <laughs>